Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning we're going to look together at the beginning of Isaiah 40. Um, these are, I think, familiar words to many of us. Uh, we have uh, sung them already twice this morning. Their words were our call to worship. They were part of the uh, wreath-lighting liturgy. Um, and I think that these are some of the most bracing and powerful words that you can find in the Old Testament spoken into anxious and desperate and disconsolate times. So let me read from Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11 for us. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read uh, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would meet all of us in the places that we find ourselves this morning that that you know um, even better than we do. Father, meet those of us who feel really close to you and near to you, ready to hear from you. Meet those of us who feel far from you, either because we have been running or you have seemed silent. Meet those of us who aren't even sure why it is that we're here this morning, who feel numb to much of what happens around us. Meet those of us who have faith and those of us who don't. Show us the grace of Jesus again through this word that we have read and heard and change us by his grace. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, uh, one night when I was in high school, uh, I was uh, 16 or 17 years old, old enough to, uh, to drive. I went with another friend to see one of our other friends play uh, in a band at a community college near where we lived. Um, it was around this time of year, meaning it got dark early. Uh, it was cold that night, and it was also raining that night, and we never actually made it to the concert because the, our car uh, broke down about um, a mile from where we were going. 
So this was, this was in the late 80s. Um, so not only does that tell you about how old I am, uh, it also tells you that we did not have cell phones to call anyone to get help. So instead, uh, we had to walk that mile to find this ancient thing called a payphone. We walked that mile to the campus in the cold, in the wet, in the rain, in the dark, and of course we did not have umbrellas. We were soaked and we were shivering when we got to the campus, and the campus wasn't familiar to us. So then we had to wander around a little while once we got there to find the payphone, and we finally found one, and I called my dad, and I told him what was up. Now, we weren't, we, we weren't kids lost in a department store or anything like that. Uh, we were not abandoned in some strange city. We were not lost in the wilderness wandering around. We were just two cold, miserable knuckleheads who had missed our friend's show. But as we experienced it, it felt like a pretty miserable thing, a pretty bad night. And even now, almost 30 years later, as inconsequential as it was, I can still remember the relief and the happiness and the affection I felt when my dad told me he would just come and get us and bring us home. It was, for the end of us, going to be a long, the end of this long, miserable night. We would finally end up at home. And we've all probably had moments like that. Every one of us in here, I'm guessing, have had moments like that, that relief, that happiness, that affection when someone comes in and helps you. There's something powerful about being rescued when you're in a jam. There is something really bracing about knowing that you are definitely, definitely going to get home. And that is the experience, simple and unadorned, that lies at the heart of those bracing words from the prophet Isaiah that we just read. The prophet is telling the people, God is coming to take you home. And of course, that's what the church celebrates during this season. We celebrate that God is coming. But of course, when the church says God is coming, we're saying something a little bit more complicated than as it first hits our ears. There's a couple layers of meaning to it. Advent is, on the one hand, about celebrating and anticipating what we call the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. And yes, as we say in the creed, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And Advent is a time to remember that that's true and to celebrate that, that truth and to meditate as deeply as we possibly can on that truth. That Jesus came and nothing will ever be the same. But on the other hand, in the middle of anxious and desperate and disconsolate times, as people who are constantly overloaded with the dispatches of really, really bad news from all over our city and our country and our world, in the middle of whatever personal, individual grief or bad news or difficulty we may be experiencing, Advent is also about remembering that Jesus has promised to come again and make everything new including me and you.
So that's Advent. Advent has an eye on both of those times, Bethlehem time and the end of time. He has come and he will come again. And that's where people like us stand with our eyes moving between those two Advents of Jesus, glad for the first, longing for the second. And so as much as our our culture, as much as this world that we live in might want to whittle Advent down to mindless consumption, to the acquisition of more stuff, as much as there is a cultural pressure to whittle Advent down into warm feelings and cozy insular celebrations, we cannot be suckered by that stuff into thinking that that's all there is to it. Not that anyone's fooled anyway. Christina Cleveland, who teaches at Duke University, put it perfectly when she wrote that Advent is not about our best world. Advent is about our worst world. And the worst world is precisely the situation into which Isaiah 40 speaks. I think you can tell a lot about people by the songs that they sing the songs that they write, the songs that they hand around to each other. And there's a whole book of psalms about songs about this particular moment in the history of God's people. It is aptly called Lamentations. And it is about the destruction of Jerusalem, the raising of the temple. It's about being carried off into exile. Here is some of the song that God's people were singing during this moment that Isaiah 40 addresses. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. That was the song. And that's where God's people were, in exile, in Babylon, with their families broken up, their homes destroyed, having undergone, some of them, incredible, unspeakable violence. Crying out and pretty sure that there is no one who is going to offer them any comfort at all. That's the refrain in the song. There is none to comfort her. There is none to comfort her. So if you have ever been in a moment like that, or maybe a season like that, a season of suffering or difficulty, then you probably know what they meant when they wrote and sang that song. You probably know what they felt. And if you never have, if you've never been in that kind of moment of suffering or difficulty, I I promise you that you know someone who has. They may be sitting around you right now. They may be just a phone call away, just a text away. Because when you're in exile and when you're in suffering and when you're in trouble, it is very, very, very easy to constitute a world in which there is no God, in which there is none to comfort. It's very easy to constitute a world where, okay, well, maybe there is a God, but there's not one who cares, or maybe he does care, but he's not listening to me, and he doesn't care for me. 
If you've ever been in that spot, if you're in that spot right now, you know that we slip into constituting that world almost unconsciously. And as soon as we imagine that that is the world, we begin to live as if that is the world. And it takes us to some really dark, dark places. And church, that's one of the reasons why we're here together right now this morning. That's one of the reasons that we do what we do every single week. It's one of the reasons that you and I desperately need every one of us in here this morning. You and I need the people that are sitting all around you this morning. We need that not just every week for a few minutes, but every single day because we remind each other, we remind each other that there is more to this world than what we can see, that there is more to this world than what we can feel and touch in the moment, that there is more to this world than whatever that thing is that we are experiencing in the present. There is more. We remind each other that God is real and He is coming. So if you are suffering right now, if you are in pain right now, please, please do your very best to not isolate yourself. I know that that's hard to do. I know that everything in you at times just wants to be alone and wants to be apart. But I promise you, your health lies elsewhere. And if you know someone who is in pain, if you know someone who is suffering, please, please move towards them. Even if they can't respond well because they don't know how to respond well, please move towards them in patience and in love. That's what we do because that's what God does. He moves towards his people in darkness. This is what Isaiah is saying. He is saying into the bleakest moment, into the darkest moment of their shared life together, God moves towards his people who are certain there is no comfort for them and says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He restores their fortunes with a word. Now, I, I've never had my home destroyed, and I've never been carried off into exile, but I don't think we need to have those things in our lives to feel and know that this is a good word for, from Isaiah for us. And here's why. Because we, too, live in a world that is not yet as it should be. We live in a world that is filled with injustice and disease and racism and unspeakable violence. I mean, 2017, it has been a heavy, heavy year. It doesn't look like it's letting up. There is a lot of darkness out there. But at the same time, if we're being honest, and I think this season requires us, this moment of waiting requires us to at least try to be as honest as we possibly can. And if we're honest, we'll admit the darkness isn't all out there. There is darkness in here, too. I am complicit. I have been unfaithful and unjust. I have not loved as I should. 
And it is into that moment that God moves towards people like us. In that moment of darkness, He moves towards and He cuts through all of the darkness out there and all of the darkness in here. And He says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. God is saying, listen, I will have the final word. I will have the final word about the darkness. Both the darkness out there and the darkness in here. I will have the final word. And church, you need to hear that when God offers comfort, He is not just offering some kind of word of solace from on high with a, with a blessing hand gesture. He's not offering His thoughts and prayers. Cheap comfort is no comfort at all. It's a waste of time. So God offers His people another order of comfort altogether. He is saying the darkness will be dispelled because of Advent. The darkness will be dispelled because God is coming. He is moving towards His people in the darkness. And He is offering the comfort of His presence. His actual presence. And that's the real thing. John Calvin calls this the sum of our happiness. The presence of God. God is promising a solidarity with us. A solidarity with you and me. And it is a solidarity that changes everything. He is coming. And because that's true, he says to the prophet that a voice cries out. And this is what the voice says when it cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And what follows is this beautiful set of images about this super highway being created in the desert for the coming of God. You know, when God comes, you don't have to, to build a bridge over the valley because the valley comes up to meet him. And when God comes, you don't have to tell him about the shortcut around the side of the mountain. You don't have to tell him about the pass around the side because the mountain lowers itself for him. God is coming, he says, and he is coming to meet his people in the darkness, in the wilderness of this broken, sinful world, and in the wilderness of our broken and sinful hearts. And he is coming with forgiveness, and he is coming with healing. God is coming, and he is coming to bring them home. Frederick Buechner said, no matter how much this world slashes us to pieces, we carry inside us a vision for wholeness that we sense is our true home and that beckons us. It's that longing for wholeness. It is that longing for home that you and I feel. For God's people then, part of it Part of that longing was to literally go home, to physically just be able to go home. What is that longing for wholeness and what is that longing for home that you and I feel? Because we feel it. Can we see past that longing or underneath that longing or over that longing or around that longing? to the thing that it really is?
can we see with the eye of faith that what we are really longing for is the sum of our happiness, the presence of God himself, solidarity with him. God is coming for us. And Isaiah says, when that happens, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed and all flesh is going to see it together. It's not just for a few people in this little finite period of time. It's for the whole world. And when it happens, the weight of God's essence, the truth about who he really is, it'll be made plain for the whole world to see. And as great as this image is, you can imagine, you can imagine how God's people in darkness might wonder how it could possibly happen. I mean, that sounds great, Isaiah, but have you seen the situation over here? (laughs) We're not exactly free people. This thing is not going to end without a fight. It sounds like the kind of thing we say when we're in our own pain and difficulty and darkness. I can't change. I've tried. People can't change. These systems that are so broken around us, they are entrenched and they cannot be removed and they cannot be changed. So God knows that's how we are. (laughs) And so he commissions another voice, the voice of the prophet to say, all flesh is grass. And it withers and it fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. God is reminding us who we are and who he is. I mean, if the weight and the burden of dispelling the darkness of this broken world rested on our shoulders, if if the weight and the burden of getting us home rested solely on our shoulders, shoulders as strong as blades of grass, then our cynicism and our fear and our anxiety would be justifiable, but it does not rest on us. It rests on the strength of his word, which will stand forever. This is the word of comfort that the prophet speaks to the people, to the exiles in darkness both then and now. God is coming. And then God's people are invited to play a part in God's advent. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, he is coming. God's people are called to be heralds of the God who comes. And Isaiah uses these two apparently contradictory, these two wildly different images to describe the God who's coming. The first is this image of a mighty warrior king returning home with the spoils of war. The Lord God rules with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense is before him. And church, we, we need a God like that with power. But the second image Second image is of a God who cares for his people like a shepherd cares for his flock. Who gathers lambs in his arms. Who carries them. Who gently leads them. Church, we need a God like that. 
And Isaiah says, this is what your God looks like when he comes, this warrior, shepherd, unfathomable might and disarming tenderness, mercy joined with power. And it would probably be impossible to overstate how incredibly comforting this would have been to God's people in exile. At the end of this chapter, at the end of Isaiah 40, God says this is what happens when the news of the advent of God comes. He says it gives power to the faint. And he says those who wait on this advent God renew their strength and they mount up with wings like eagles. And of course, God did do that for his people. The Babylonian Empire falls, the Persian Empire comes in, and they let God's people go home. And they go back and they start rebuilding their homes and they start remaking their lives. But like we talked about last week, (laughs) the fullness of the promises of this Advent God had not yet been fulfilled, not yet realized. And so we get to this place where we read about these people like old Simeon in Luke's gospel whose strength had never flagged, who is still waiting for what? The comfort of Israel. He is still waiting for the word of consolation. And then John the Baptist shows up in the wilderness like we heard in the gospel lesson this morning, a voice crying out saying, there's someone mightier than me who's coming. And it is in the life of Jesus that we finally see, finally see the fullness of Isaiah's vision. It's in Jesus where we see what this warrior shepherd really looks like, mercy joined with power. It is in Jesus' cross and his resurrection and his ascension where we see mercy joined with power, where we see in the scandalous logic of love that we can really be forgiven and pardoned that our warfare really can end. The light shines into the darkness of our worst world, and the darkness could not overcome it. And this is the first advent of God. It's the one that we keep looking back to as we look forward to the second one, the final one. The first advent of God is the one that means that the darkness in here and the darkness out there has been dealt a mortal blow and it is bleeding out in the streets and his power will be gone. One day it will be gone forever. And while we wait for that day, church, we have work to do. Essential work. (laughs) Absolutely essential work. It's essential work in this anxious and disconsolate world that we live in. It's essential work for people who feel like they're beat up and for people who are beat up. It's essential work for the weak who have been abused by the powerful. It's essential work for people like us who come home at the end of the day and we hear the news summary and we think, what more could happen in our city? What more could happen in our country? What more could happen in this world? How much more messed up could it be? It is essential work. Essential work for those who are under the weight of loss, just bent underneath it. It's essential work for those just trying to grind it out another day and make it by. We, the church, are called to be ministers of comfort to each other and to the broken world all around us. 
Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament lesson. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And church, we do that through the blood and the sweat and the tears of sharing real life together. That's why we need each other. God has shared his transformative solidarity with us. He has moved towards us. And so now we in turn share that transformative solidarity with others by moving towards them and each other. We do that physically by being with each other. We do it in prayer. We do it in acts of self-giving love. We do it in acts of service. Between Bethlehem time and the end of time, this is our vocation, church. And God has given us everything that we need to inhabit it fully. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to see this and to hear this and to feel this and to believe it to believe that you have moved towards us, that you have given to us the definitive word of comfort, not from on high with a pious phrase, but with Jesus who has come and borne our own flesh and lived as we have lived, who wears our flesh right now seated at your right hand. Father, help us to believe that you have spoken this word of comfort to us, that you have given us this transformative solidarity and give us all that we need to turn outside of ourselves and to one another and to this broken world with that same transformative solidarity. Help us to believe that you are coming. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.